0: This presentation is from Design Research 2021, day one. Um, We're very happy to have uh, Stephen Cox with us. We always enjoy having uh, Stephen speak. Um, He has been a uh, practitioner for quite a while and has recently transitioned into somewhat of a different space, Stephen. And you're going to be telling us about that uh, transition um welcome thank you over to you okay awesome thanks steve hi everyone i'm Stephen, um sometimes known as coxie my pronouns are he him and his um i grew up in canberra but i've ended up living in sydney under the flight path so if there's any uh airplane noise just please excuse me i'm currently on the lands of the gadigal people of the eora nation and as i'm talking to you from these lands today i'd like to pay my respects to the elders of this land both past and present and any emerging leaders. I'd also like to extend my respect to you guys um, as we've come together to learn a little bit more about design research. And uh, this morning has been pretty amazing so far. Um, I'm just gonna admit it to you up front that I'm a pretty old dog in the digital design industry as Steve alluded to. Um, I developed my first professional website back in 1995. um, And since then I've spent time freelancing, consulting, running teams, doing design research for a bunch of different organizations. Um, Prior to doing design, I was an academic anthropologist and Australian prehistorian, and I think what those disciplines have really taught me colours the way I approach my work. Um, You know, at my core is this love of qualitative research. I really enjoy hearing people's stories and understanding what other people's worldviews are. I believe that good work can only really be done through collaboration, Um, and that's usually with the people we're building things with, but also with the people we're building things for. I think um, in this weird cultural way, so everything's a social ecosystem and anything that's made by humans is kind of imbued with this rich interconnected set of values and history. I think when we design, we need to take um, all of that into consideration, particularly if we are relating to people who've worked in a particular way for a long time. And then lastly, I guess I believe like Ralph Waldo Emerson that life is a series of experiments and for me, so is work. So after, as Steve alluded to before, so after 10 years of running a research team at Westpac and a brief jaunt running an IT department down in Canberra, we can talk about that later, um, I found myself facing a new job as the Director of Research for the product team at Domain, which is a website uh, about real estate, really. I really wanted to relate to you a story that made me realize that I was kind of facing into some challenges in this new role. A couple of weeks into the job, I'd been working on a reverse brief to look at how we could integrate a third-party service um, into one of our existing products. And I sat with a product manager and we drafted up a really quick reverse brief suggesting that we run some usability testing to understand if the proposal would meet the needs of our potential customers. Uh, We took this brief, obviously, off to uh, the head of product and, you know, he had this look on his face when we'd explained it to him. He said something like, Well, it's great. We'll know if it's usable, but there's no demand testing in there. Is the value prop right? What numbers are we using to get the proposal? um, You know, the proposed incremental uplift. You know, really, what was the outcome for the organization if we did this work? And I smiled. I guess that worried smile you get when you're freaking out inside. And I answered, "Well, they're really good questions, and uh, I'll I'll get back to you on those." Um, And I guess that was the moment that I realized, like poor old Toto, I wasn't in Kansas anymore. Um, So what had happened here, I guess uh, this is kind of the crux of the problem for me that there was, there is a difference between design research um, and product design research. I kind of moved from this fluffy world where there was assumed value in delivering something that was good for customers, that delivering incremental customer value was always worthwhile to, I guess, this new world uh, where it's not just what should we do, but why should we do it? Um, So a much stronger focus on the viability you know, and I and what what that meant is I've had to do a bunch more research into understanding how to do better data analytics, how to get better at market research, as well as picking up a few lean research practices. Um, and you know, learning all that stuff is exciting and scary at the same time. But I was also faced with this um, new kind of problem to resolve. So, how do I undertake some, I don't know, niche adaptation or something to make the organisation slightly more open to a customer centric vision of the world? After all. Between, halfway between Venus and Mars is Earth, and that's a distinctly human place to live. Um, so I just wanna give you a little bit more context about how we work at Domain. Uh, we have a hub and spoke model, um, or I like to call it the, the heart and soul model. Um, and the heart is a really small place. It's uh, just Sarah Stokes, um, who's head of design, and myself supporting people doing research. Um, but all the soul in the organization, all the soul in the design part of the organization, at least, um, is our UX designers. And they're wonderful full stack UX designers. So they design all the way from you know um, strategic design all the way down to pixel perfect UI. And they also do our research for us. So they do discovery research all the way down to evaluative research. Um, and obviously, that gives us a, a range of complications in the way we want to deploy good research um, and develop, I guess, more empathy in the organization for the people that we serve. Um, and so, you know, how do you go about resolving a problem like this, I guess, is, is the problem. Luckily for me, being a researchy type chap, I thought the best thing to do was to just go out and do some design research, so actual design research um, on how we could better integrate the human side of research into what is a fairly statistics and outcome-driven world of the organization. I spent a couple of weeks doing research, gathered lots of valuable information, but more importantly, managed to make a bunch of allies within the organization um, and gathered lots and lots of support from people, uh, people in analytics, marketing data, go-to-market, customer care, uh, commercial, legal, all of those wonderful places who've really helped me, um, (laughs) I guess, over the last little while. Um, as I careen through this new role and and kind of make a a ton of mistakes. Um, But I guess at the end of the research into research, I ended up with um, a lot of information, as you always do. Um, And being slightly obsessed with this idea of culture and understanding what makes an organisation tick, I wanted to find a Rosetta Stone or a touchstone that could help me unpick and understand the information I'd gathered to help me structure a way forward for research in the organisation. but luckily for me it was pretty obvious um, and I didn't have to think that hard about it because Domain is really built up on this startup culture which has a really strong development has really strong development roots in the agile movement um, I, although I think we're slightly agile at the moment but uh, the startup culture is focused on agile delivery and output so I figured the best starting point for me to help understand what I'd learned in my research was uh, to have a look at the starting point for the agile movement. Um, so having a look at the 12 principles of the agile manifesto was really where we started. Um, and interestingly enough, there was a whole range of things in there that I think that we could integrate, but it gave me a common language to speak to the rest of the organization as well. Um, So I'm going to run through, I'm not going to run through all 12, I've condensed a few into a couple of things uh, and just really wanted to talk to you about how we've gone about approaching injecting research into the organization, if that makes sense. Um, So one of the first Agile principles is uh, frequent delivery and simplicity. Well, there's two of them squished together, but I I think everyone, um, well, maybe not everyone, a lot of people have kind of heard that research slows product teams down. No one typically has time for research. And and the way I would usually respond to that would be like, well, it costs a heap more time to rebuild something people don't want than try to get it right the first time. But that wasn't gonna help me actually work with this organization. So I had to step back and think about, you know, what are the biggest pain points in research? How do we get the teams to do research faster? What can we do to break or remake existing practices? So I kind of put on my robe and wizard hat and we started doing some experiments in the organization. And what you'll see here is uh, little icons. These are our experiments. Uh, above the icons are the, the, I guess, how far through those experiments we are. Um, and obviously, to make things go faster, the first thing we needed to do is really uh, fix our research ops. So it took about four weeks at the moment. Uh, when, when I arrived, it took about four weeks just because there were different practices and different, uh, you know, Uh, PO orders and various things like that happening. So it took about four weeks to get people recruited and it took a long time to get people on the ground um, actually talking to customers. So we fixed that, we've improved it uh, by about four times and lo and behold from the first quarter that I was there to the second quarter we did four times as much research. So research ops, super key, really important. I think um, the interesting thing that came out of that discussion though is that Uh, all the research that we were doing was pulled by products. So products would go, um, we need to do some usability testing. How do we do that? So we've uh, started in this quarter, at least, or the coming quarter, to look at an always on research cadence. So just have people come in every week, um, have teams volunteer to to talk to those folk to see what will happen if we actually just increase the number of people talking to people. Um, And so that should be a really interesting outcome. The next uh, principle that I was interested in in looking at was, I guess, this businesses and developers together. Obviously, from being being a designer, I'd want the designers to have a seat at that table. Um, But also being a researcher, I want the customers to be included in what does it mean when we have discussions about products. Um, So, how do we put people back into the conversation? One of the things that we did was we found a a PM who was really interested in uh, doing some discovery research. He said, look, I'll give you a quarter. You can tell me what we're gonna build in the next quarter. If you do a good job, then I'll um, promote you within the organization and it'll be great. Um, so we worked really hard. Uh, We've got, got a little bit of resourcing, a little bit of time. Um, we We deployed like the full mixed method approach. We looked at the existing research. We built some customer journey maps. Uh, You know, we did jobs to be done, sorry, Indy. And uh, basically, you know, importance versus satisfaction. So we got a whole bunch of stats and information about what they should build next. I mean, that's been really, really valuable. Um, One of the tools that we use there really to show the value to the organization is this Opportunity Solutions tree, which is, uh, I think, uh, invented by Teresa Torres. And that really helps splice and graft people's needs next to the product outcomes. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example of what that looks like. Um, So this is what what, an opportunity solution tree looks like. You may have seen it, you may not have. Um, Essentially on the the left-hand side, you have an outcome, which is a number that the organization is trying to drive. Um, And then through our research, we find opportunities, needs, um, problems that people are trying to solve essentially. Um, And then as a team, we brainstorm a whole bunch of potential solutions and come up with some lean experiments. So for example, if we uh, wanted to change the number of people doing inspections, We've learned that uh, you know there's a social aspect to inspecting a property. Um, so how do we make that easier for people? You know, uh, Here are some solutions and here are some experiments. So this is how this stuff works. But the really important thing here is you put the opportunity next to the outcome um, and you're actually showing, if we solve this opportunity, we'll see this number move. Um, and we've started to try and prove that out through these projects. And it's all well and good though if we've, Uh, managed to convince 1pm out of uh, about 12 or 13 to to do a a quarter of research. But I guess the question is now, what would we do um, if we wanted to try and scale that? So cognizant of the fact that we don't have a bunch of researchers, um, we're thinking maybe we can start a regular discovery thing similar to the way we're going to try and do regular usability testing. So have a tryout of, uh, you know, the PM tech lead and a design lead um, interview a customer once or twice a week just to get this ongoing um, input from customers and drive better empathy for the people that we're actually serving. Uh, the third principle I'm talking about here is face-to-face conversations, Of face-to-face conversation. I've kind of co-opted this a little bit, but it's really how do you get the customer back into the conversation? Um, you know, we've run some experiments where we've just kind of given uh, a set of customers to PMs and teams to see how they'd react to them and the sorts of things that they'd actually want to ask questions about. And that's been a really insightful and interesting um, process. And I think that's really what's driven this. I think as an organization, we can actually do ongoing discovery work. Um, So that'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. I think uh, there's a bunch of teams that don't have designers. Um, and so we've been providing them with a whole range of tools to get them thinking about customers. So uh, educating them about how did they talk to people, uh, giving them frameworks like the heart framework. Um, we've kind of also set up a little uh, question board where they can come and say, here are all the questions I have. I don't have a designer to answer them, but if you guys are talking to these types of people, can you see if you can find an answer for me? I think, um, The last part here is that um, we wanna try and fit people in. And so we do a a lot of design sprints uh, and you get folk in at the end and talk to them. I've kind of basically challenged all our designers to get at least one person in in that co-design period in that um, sprint. So that's kind of interesting and fun. I think the fourth point here, and this is probably the most important one, it should have gone first, is that um, all the teams are self-organizing and reflective. Um, and the really interesting thing about this is, you know, you're, you're living in an agile world and every team is slightly different. So, um, you know, at the end of every sprint, they sit down, they do a retro and they change themselves. They change themselves for better. They change themselves to suit the mix of people in their team. Um, and they change the processes that are used to actually deliver. Um, and that requires for someone who doesn't have a research team, um, you to remain really, really flexible. And try and um, help folk as best you can. Um, and so we've done things like uh, create some frameworks and tools. So rather than giving strict processes about how to do something, uh, you know, we've built things like a research kitchen, which is um, it's kind of like a research planner, but it's flexible. So you can come in, you can go, I- I'm really interested in understanding how to do good discovery research. You click on the button. You get a little board that says here are all the things that you would do if you were going to do great discovery um, research and you can drag and drop stuff in and out but it basically outlines the steps um gives them a sense of how long it might take um and so they can go away and think about whether it, is this the right kind of research that we want to do um and engage us in having a, a slightly more educated conversation further further down the line um, one of the other things that we will want to do is educate people. So we threw customers at, at um, PMs and their teams. I think it was it, it's an interesting experience, but I think, you know, uh, if we use Indy Young's practical empathy as a framework, it might be a really sensible way to, to start building that empathy with, uh, with our product managers um, and the people that is serving. This last point here, which is kind of funny, the repositories and organizational memory was one of the first experiments that we ran that just kind of failed. Uh, We tried to implement a wonderful system called Gleanly, uh, which is an atomic uh, design research kind of tool where you get your experiment, you have a look at your facts, uh, you write your insights out and a whole bunch of stuff comes out the other end. Um, Oh, Steve, do you need me or are you okay? No, good. Um, so, uh, and and we tried to implement that in the teams and it just wasn't working essentially um, because it forced people to do things in a particular way. So we've gone back to using a simple confluence, but having a quite structured label system in there. Um, the other thing is something that I borrowed from a previous role, which is uh, to write human stories. So every time someone does an interview, they write the story of the person um, and how they connected to that person. So. Ultimately, we'll end up with a series of indexable stories. So mm, let's imagine someone comes to us in six months time and says, tell us about inspections. We can give them the research that's been done, but then we can give them eight stories to read in depth about um, those individuals and, and you know, what it's like to go through the inspection process. Um, and lastly, cause I'm a, an old man, <laughs> I keep forgetting things. Um, And if you've got multiple teams and you're running multiple experiments, you kind of have to just map it out for yourself. And so I'm just using a simple mirror board uh, with each of the teams listed um, what research and what experiments we've actually tried with each of them. Um, And that's been really, really useful for me so I don't drop too many balls. Um, So what changes have I I had to make for myself? As I mentioned, getting better at data analytics, learning how to use... uh, a-B testing on optimize, um, I'm getting better at doing quantitative market research as well. So uh, learning how to do segmentation and mapping those back to customer needs, has been quite a fun fun thing for me to do. Um, I've been learning a lot about product management. Um, and, you know, the guys in in domain are really good at mentoring folk. Um, and, you know, just keeping track of moving parts is something I've never been good at, but I'm getting much better at it now. Uh, from an organizational perspective, I guess, Uh, You know, not having a research team is really interesting. So how do we democratize research, like really democratize it, get other people to do the work for us and bring that information in. And then how do we make that information more useful? Um, Longer term is kind of a big important thing. In terms of business and needs. So we've got customers telling us what they want. Um, How do we link those really closely to the outcomes of the business? So the opportunity solution map seems to be working really well for us there. Um, in terms of flexibility, obviously, just be flexible. And I think one of the other great things about getting a new role is that you have to find new heroes. So I've got a bunch of heroes from design research, but you know I've got new ones, Teresa Torres, Cassie Korsgaroff, um, John Cutler, all of these uh, amazing product managers or people who think in product terms or around decision science um, have been amazing and I've just been learning lots, which is you know, part of the fun of life. Um, So I just want to just go back to that moment. How did I resolve that original problem? So the project that gave me that really uncomfortable smile. Well, I worked really hard with the product manager to set up a series of different research approaches. We did remote usability testing, A-B testing on the solution, set up some heart metrics, um, and looking at at funnels and various things like that. Um, So the research program really touched on all aspects of desirability, feasibility, and viability. Um, We're halfway through implementing it. But when we repitched it to the boss or the boss's boss, he said, that's great. Let's see how it goes. Yes. Um, so just to wrap up that story, I haven't actually made it through my six-month probation. They haven't sacked me yet. Uh, and that was two weeks ago. So I'm kind of happy. It's harder for them to get rid of me now. Um, but I'm still an old dog. I'm kind of a little bit more tired than I normally am uh, at this point in a, in, a, in a job. But, you know, um, I'm still here. Um, But I have learned a whole bunch of new tricks. Uh, I know that I've just gone a little bit over time, but if you want to reach out, I'm on Twitter. Um, You can grab me on Slack when I rejoin and I'll have a look through the Q&A. So thank you very much. Thank you, Stephen. Oh, how do I, I'll stop sharing now. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that.